Good morning and welcome on this Sunday morning. Glad that you're here today. And my name is Adam Love, Senior Pastor at Grace. And today we have a special day planned for us as a church. And so I just want to kind of give us uh, an opportunity to make aware of what's happening here today. Uh, as you're coming in today, you'll notice that we have communion cups available and uh, this is for our, our time this morning. If you walked in and uh, you walked past and didn't remember to pick one of those up, uh, we'll make those available at the, uh, towards the, uh, little bit, in just a little bit here. We're actually moving the communion time in a little bit sooner in the service instead at the end. Uh, we have several of our children here this morning, and we have several that are going to be baptized here in just a minute. And uh, so we wanted to uh, have an opportunity for our young people to be able to see and to be able to ask questions. And you say, thank you. I appreciate that. Yes, it's important uh, that we be able to answer these questions. And sometimes they ask it in such a way that just really challenges us, even as parents, as adults. And uh, we want to be able to help them as they're working through their faith and understanding that. And so today it's a little bit of an ordinance Sunday. It's allowing us to not only observe the baptism, but also to be able to observe the cup and to think about communion and uh, what these are part of our ministry and how they're a part of our ministry here today. And so as uh, we get started here this morning, I hope that uh, we'll prepare our hearts. And uh, so at this time, I'm going to ask Kelly O'Rear, and he's going to take over for us here as he introduces those who are coming in baptism and uh, looking forward to celebrating with these young people who have demonstrated a, a personal acceptance of Jesus Christ, and we're going to hear more about that this morning. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning, church. So it clicked with me yesterday that as best I remember, it was 38 years ago this week that I was baptized just up the road here at what was Woodland Park Baptist Church. I was 19 years old. My daughter's about to be baptized and she's nine. So um, that's, that's pretty exciting. Um, I'm not sure if I've ever been in a service where I saw so many children be baptized. And we actually had two others this morning. It was going to be six, but one um, got sick this morning. So we're going to, we'll reschedule that one and we'll be praying for him to feel better. Um, last week in children's Sunday school class, uh, my wife was teaching and just explained to the kids that baptism is, is kind of like a picture of a wedding ring. So if I took any one of these kids and I brought them to me and I put this wedding ring on them, does that make them married? The kids were like, no, because a wedding ring is a picture of something that has already happened. And so these kids, I think, have a clear understanding of that. And we've chatted with them. And I feel like that they're, they are ready. This is their uh, public testimony. They're putting on the team jersey this morning and just saying, I am wanting to follow Christ with my life. So this is an important step of obedience. So you be praying for these kids as they come down to these waters of baptism. And um, Kate, will you come join me? Hold on to the rail right there if you want to, sweetie. So this is my daughter, Catherine. Mommy's standing up there at the top. So I wanted to do this one first because I knew this would be, um, this would be a sweet moment. Um, so a few years ago, over multiple mornings, I was reading to our kids in the morning at breakfast this little tract, Who Will Be King? It's a children's tract about the gospel. And um, Kate heard that, and then she decided she wanted to take this for herself, and she took it to her room, and she read it. And she reminded me last night that um, three days before her birthday was a Sunday, right? And there was communion at church. 
And between this tract and that communion, she realized that she had a decision to make. She needed to take care of something. So um, that night, after bedtime, how convenient, after bedtime, she came to me and she said, Daddy, I want to know how to put my trust in Jesus. So uh, we went to her room and we sat down and I asked her some questions. Uh, we talked about the gospel. I asked her several questions and then later on her mom asked her some questions, I think too. And she happily answered and clearly answered those, those questions. And so she, we sat on her bed together and she prayed to put her trust in Christ. And um, since that day, she's demonstrated such a love for God's word, um, such a heart for other people and, and just acts of kindness to other people. So we see God at work in her life. Um, Kate, your mom and I are really super duper proud of you. Would you like to be baptized right now? All right, so let's step back here. Um, Kate, by your standing in these waters of baptism, are you telling these folks that you have put your trust in Jesus to be your savior and your king? And that you want, with his help, you want to follow him for the rest of your life? Yes. Yes, all right, so you take that, take your nose. Okay, Kate. I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Next, we have Tanner Allman. Come here, big guy. All right, Tanner, you come right here where everybody can see you. So, um... I wrote the parents, I just said, tell me a little bit about um, their understanding of the gospel and how they came to put their trust in the Lord. And this is what Sarah wrote back to me. She said, we praise God for what he has done in Tanner's heart. He has, as he has matured, we have seen his faith evidenced in his trust in God, his love for Jesus, and his understanding of the gospel. Recently, he's been asking to be baptized in front of his family and friends because he wanted everyone to know that he is a follower of Jesus. So Tanner, based on your profession of faith, are you wanting to tell these folks that you have trusted Jesus to be your savior and king, and with his help you want to follow him all of your life? Yes, sir, all right. You take your nose, all right, and then you can put your other hand on my hand if you want to. Okay, Tanner, my brother in Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Next, we have Amelia Gilmore. She is excited about baptism this morning. Come on here with me. Okay. So, um, her daddy wrote me and said that Amelia remembers um, a moment some time ago of being frightened. And her sisters came alongside, and eventually, in the midst of a conversation, they encouraged her to put her trust in Christ and to pray. Uh, for salvation. So she understands that um, Jesus died on the cross for her sins as a substitute. Um, and after talks with her mom and dad about the meaning of baptism um, and how it's different from salvation, this is not salvation, um, that just served to confirm her understanding of the gospel and her relationship with the Lord. How about that? So, Amelia, by your coming into these waters of baptism, are you wanting to tell these folks? that you have put your trust in Jesus to be your savior and your king, and with his help, you want to follow him the rest of your life? 
You do? Awesome. Okay. You take your nose. And right there. Amelia, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we made the observation that apparently if a Loveridge is being baptized, then a Gilmore gets baptized. So um, they, they do this in pairs. This is Lucy Loveridge and her mom and dad. She's seven. Her mom and dad are Neil and Brianne. Uh, Amelia's the daughter of Steve and Ashley, and Tanner's the son of Justin and Sarah. Um, so Brianne wrote me this about Lucy. Do you know what your mom said about you? Okay, we'll find out. <laughs> So Brian wrote me this, Lucy trusted Christ a couple of years ago through discipleship in the home and many diverse conversations about God that came up in homeschool and our everyday life. Lucy knew that she was missing out on something. She realized that she needed to accept Christ as her savior. Her faith has been so sweet to watch and to watch her grow as she is understanding that God created her in a unique way for good and he loves her just as she is. How about that? How about that? All right, let's step back here. So Lucy, by taking these waters of baptism and stepping in here, are you wanting to tell these folks that you have trusted Jesus to be your savior and your king, and with his help, you want to follow him the rest of your life? Yes, all right, you take your nose. Right hand, take your nose. And I'm gonna, okay. Lucy, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. amen, amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning as we got to behold a picture of the gospel, um, buried in the deadness of our sins, raised to walk in newness of life. Thank you for um, these four children who have on their own uh, come to this realization that they wanted to follow you in obedience and publicly testify to their faith in you. God, we give you glory for your work of the gospel and spirit and how you drew them to yourself. So we pray for these families that were represented uh, and for us as a church to rally around them, to encourage them in their pursuit of Jesus and uh, their understanding of what it means to be his followers. So God, please meet with us in this service now and glorify your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Isn't that exciting? It's a wonderful thing to watch our children come to faith and to begin to grow in their understanding of the gospel and the good news and uh, grateful for this experience this morning. One other thing that we want to do this morning is we want to inform you of an initiative that we're starting here at Grace uh, internally uh, on a matter of prayer. And, uh, and that'll be showing in just a minute. As uh, you get into your, your bulletin, there's several other things there we want you to be aware of. And as you're coming in today, I hope that uh, you'll take a moment and uh, you know, grab something to remind you, uh, whether it's a calendar or whatever, and put these things down uh, as, as you have opportunity. Uh, one of the things that uh, we're gonna be noting here is a, a ministry opportunity in prayer. And this time we'd like to show you a little bit more about that. Being members of a local church is so much more than just showing up to worship on Sundays. Each of us have a responsibility to get involved in ministry. And one way that we can actively participate in what God is doing at Grace Baptist Church is through intentional, corporate prayer. But with all of our busy schedules and distractions, 
how can we make sure that we're all praying together? Introducing Pray at 7815, a new initiative that makes it easy for you to join in with other members of our church and pray for specific ministry and outreach opportunities. Here's how it works. Every week or bi-weekly, we'll send out a few key ministry requests via text or email. All you need to do is to set a reminder to pray for those specific needs at a designated time each day using the numbers 7815. You can choose to pray at seven o'clock, eight o'clock, one o'clock, or five o'clock, whichever time is best for you. And if you can't pray at that specific time, no problem. Just take a few minutes during your day to pray for these important needs. Whether you pray with your spouse, your kids, or alone on your commute home from work, let's all join together wherever we are. By praying together, we can make a real difference in the lives of those we serve. So join us in Pray at 7815, and let's see what God will do as we pray. I want to encourage you, if you have an opportunity, to stop by in the foyer. If you are already on our prayer chain, you get these updates, and there are times throughout the week or the days that we send out updates on different people's needs, and we pray together as a church. If you're already receiving those, you don't have anything more to sign up for. You'll be getting these ministry updates and opportunities for prayer uh, as uh, we go through the, the days ahead. Beyond that, uh, if you haven't been receiving those and you would like to, uh, there is a sign-up list out in the foyer, but on that as well, there is a QR code if you'd rather do it online, and uh, there is a way to uh, sign up or just simply call the office, and uh, we'll be more than happy to help you with that. But remember, these are for these key ministry requests and allowing us to kind of set a reminder using the address of our, our space there on Chalderford Road 781 five as something just to help us remember to pray at some key points in the day and as a way of uh, setting up uh, consistency as we think about praying for not just the building project but other needs that come up inside of our ministry as we go through the days ahead and I appreciate those who are organizing this and working towards this and so something for us to be reminded of. Let's stand together if you would and we're going to open with a time of prayer and then begin our worship time here this morning as we look forward to singing and then sharing and then also again celebrating Christ in the, the moment of thought and the, and the communion time and uh, so looking forward to doing that here together this morning and uh, so be in mindful prayer. There are several that are mentioned here in our bulletin uh, to be in prayer for and uh, just got word uh, about uh, a church down in uh, Rock Springs, Georgia who had a special speaker who collapsed on the platform this morning. And uh, so if you would just be in prayer uh, for a church, Peavine Baptist Church down in Rock Springs, Georgia. And uh, I, I hope we don't experience that here, all right? Uh, but at the same time, it's serious there and uh, something that has definitely drawn attention to the need for grace and for uh, God to encourage that church family as they're going through this, this moment in time. So let's open our time here in prayer. And I ask the Lord's blessing on our day. Father, we're grateful for this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you'll just encourage our hearts as we witness your grace, as we give testimony of that through the singing. Lord, we pray for this church down in Georgia and ask for uh, that speaker and his family and others, Lord, around them. I just pray, God, that you would uh, give peace in the midst of this. Lord, I ask that you will bless our time here. And Lord, I know there are needs, physical, spiritual needs in our own church. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would be seen, that you'd be evident, that, Lord, you would encourage our walk with you today, and may you be greatly seen. And, Lord, pray now that you will use us to be reaching our community for the cause of Christ. And it's in your name we pray. Thank you, Pastor. Would you join us as we sing and worship this morning as we begin with This Is Amazing Grace. Sing with us. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all Takes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder. The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love that you would take my place. you've done for me. Who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The King of glory, the King of glory, who rules the nations with truth and justice. Shines like the sun in all of his brilliance, the King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace, this is unfailing love, that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross. you've done for me. 
if they would to make ready and we're going to uh, make sure that uh, if you're here this morning and as you walked in you didn't receive one of these communion cups if you could just lift your hand and we have some ushers that will be more than happy to make sure that you get one and as soon as you're coming in here we've got some here and back there so feel free 
We're going to go to Mark's gospel here this morning as a way of talking about and reminding ourselves of what it is that we do here. Just like the baptism, this began again a discussion in our mind about this being truly a picture of what Jesus Christ has done. And this cup and this element only represents the event that took place now for us almost 2,000 years ago in a time and a place where uh, people were confronted with a person willing to give of himself and to sacrifice himself and yet not really understanding the full picture of that. And so we come into the Gospel of Mark and, and this is that picture before all of that takes place. And uh, they're sitting in a room here in a time where, according to Jewish custom, this is very familiar, this is the part of the Passover celebration that they had, a place of recalling redemption and deliverance and, and how God provided for them a way of escape out of a, a place of suffrage and, and suffering and dealing with uh, bondage and enslavement. And this is a picture, again, of what Jesus Christ does for us. He takes us from our condemnation and brings us unto liberty and freedom in Christ. And so we take an opportunity this morning to remember and to reflect, and that's what we do. Every time we do this, we do this in remembrance of Jesus Christ. And so the only thing that hinders you from being able to participate with us is that you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If there's never been a time in your life where you have not admitted and understood yourself to be what you are and what we all are, except because of the grace of God, that we were born as sinners. And because of what Jesus Christ did for us on a cross and that he gave himself for us, died in our place, he gave to us the hope of forgiveness and the opportunity to know life and life eternal. And so if that is something that you have never done, then... I encourage you to find out more about what that means. But if you are here as a child of God and you know that Jesus Christ has forgiven you of your sins, then I encourage you to participate with us this morning. And so looking at Mark's gospel, verse, chapter 14, verse 22, and he talks about this at the end of this ministry of Christ, he comes to this place, this last supper, He's going to celebrate with his disciples. And he says in verse 22, Mark writes, while they were eating, he took some bread and after a blessing, he broke and he gave it to them and said, take it, this is my body. And when they had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and they drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. This understanding of this as a symbol, as a picture of an event that would take place even just hours later, he's already making a statement about what these mean, what these elements mean. There's the bread, there's the wine. In our case here, this wafer, this juice that is here in this little cup, it represents for us what it is that Christ was saying that he was about to do for them, that I'm going to give of myself physically for your physicality because I come as a substitute in humanity for humanity's sake. I stand in your place and I give everything. And not just simply to endure the brutality in my physical being, but I will actually give my life, and that is the picture of the blood, that everything about what he gave there in the, the giving of himself and every aspect of him, life for life, life is in the blood, and he has given himself for us. 
And so this morning, as we remember, we think about this. And so let's open that section there that has that little wafer inside of it and take that out and let us think about what this is when he says that this is my body. He says, this is what I represent in myself. This is my body that is broken for you. Take it and eat it. Let's do that together. Sing with us. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. It says then that he took a cup, verse 23, and he gives thanks. You know, the idea of thankfulness is not always tied to the sense that we can appreciate the gift in the moment, but always to understand the impact and what the benefit of the gift is. That is something that we can oftentimes come to to understand. And right now, the disciples did not really understand it. But Christ gives thanks for what is about to happen, and it's thanks because of what it's going to mean for those who will receive it, less for himself except that he gets to do what the Father has asked him to do, and that is to become the sacrifice for our sin. And he gives thanks for that. That's the amazing God that we worship. This is a God that was willing to do everything for us as the rebellious creation, and yet we have, so many of us, have rejected him. I'm grateful that my heart no longer rejects him, that he is truly my Savior, and I hope that that's what you celebrate this morning as we think about what this cup is saying, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. And if you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior, we give thanks and we rejoice in remembrance of what he has done for us. Drink this and do this in remembrance of him. to remember and reflect, I pray that our hearts would truly cherish what we've witnessed this morning in the baptism and the observance of this communion. 
May we cherish the embrace of your love, be thankful for it on a daily basis. And may we be mindful to share this with others as a testimony of your grace in us. May you be seen. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would stand with me one more time, we're going to be dismissing our children to Children's Church, singing one more song together before we come together to God's Word in John chapter 1 and thinking about what these truths mean to us. Children, pre-K through 5, you head out this time. chapter 1 with me this morning as we come again to the series that we've been in and come and see. And what a challenge to think about what it is that we're asking the Lord to uh, enlighten us and reveal to us and to look at this gospel of John together as we're moving through its pages here. And we come to John chapter 1 and verse 35. And so looking here together, John 1 beginning in verse 35. Again, the next day, and this is a, another next day statement similar to verse 29. And so we come again to this now, pretty much this third day of what this 
testimony of John, starting in verse 19. We've come into this. The next day, verse 29, now again another day. And John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is translated to mean teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. And so they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah which is translated to mean Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which is to be translated Peter. The next day, he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, Follow me. And now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you that I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened the angels of God ascending and descending on the sun. Come and see. If I were to ask you today, what do you want out of life? What would your answer be? What do you want? To live this life and come to the end, what would you hope to have gained, to have given, or simply had to show for it? And for some, there is no willingness even to broach this topic and to think along this line. Their purpose is simply to live in a moment and get what they can for the moment. And yet for others, they are so overwhelmed with fear and uncertainty of what is next that it cripples them beyond any ability to be able to find any sense of joy in this life. And yet there are those who seem to be attempting to discover something of meaning and a purpose for this existence. So which category do you belong in? When I started dating Kelly, I was quickly introduced to a relative by the name of Steve Bickle. And Steve was the life of the party. He lived in California, he enjoyed the Hollywood scene, and as a young man just out of college, he traveled to LA, lived out of his car for months. Until one day, just by chance, he ran across one of the co-founders of MGM Studios, and from that point on, he lived the, the life of the fast lane. Steve later went on to become a film executive. He produced several films. In fact, for some of you that are just those romantic buffs out there, he was also the producer for Somewhere in Time, which starred Christopher Reeve and, and uh, Jane Seymour. 
Steve was a larger-than-life, gregarious. He was extremely loyal as a member of the family. He never married, never had children. And so all of the nephews and nieces and the cousins, they were like children to him, and we all affectionately called him Uncle Stevie. Steve was looking to leave the movie industry and to move away from California back to his home state of Minnesota to be closer to family. And having been raised in a Jewish home, Steve was on the board of all the major Holocaust museums. He was an ardent supporter of Israel. He loved his Jewish heritage. And just prior to what we would describe as his great escape from California, Steve had a trip planned to Portugal. And he was up on a hike with Jane Seymour's sister and some other friends, and at the age of 64 on September 2015, passed away like that of a massive heart attack. In just a matter of minutes, Uncle Stevie was gone from this earth. Now, not gone in the sense of eternity, because Steve is somewhere still today. The question has been in our hearts and minds to wonder, did he ever hear the truth of the gospel where he was willing to receive it? Is he going to be in heaven with us? Or is he suffering what all of us were condemned to suffer in eternity in a separated place from God in hell? I remember having a pretty intense and serious conversation with Steve some time before he passed. And thinking about Steve, Steve being Jewish, he would attend the synagogue. He was of a reformed viewpoint. He was not an Orthodox Jew. Steve didn't even believe in God. He didn't believe in the God of the Old Testament. He had no opinion of a life after death. He just really felt like this is all there was. And so I asked him, so if this is all there is, what's the point? What do you live for? What is your purpose in living? And his basic answer was, I just want to leave this world better off than when I found it, when I came in. No view of the life after But yet, at the same time, when I pressed him, so what is the significance in being so kind and caring about anyone other than yourself if there is nothing worth living for beyond the here and now? And Steve offered no substantial response other than he just wanted to be remembered for his generosity and his kindness. And yes, we remember him for that. But I would much rather know that he's going to be with me in eternity. Great qualities, great values, but what is the point if this is all there is? And in John's gospel, the writer is attempting to introduce us to Jesus Christ, the only person who is the solution for man's greatest need. And Jesus is the only one who can truly end the battle in our souls and supply that missing part in our lives, that eternal purpose in a life that is restored in a relationship with God. And in the section of John 1, we read, we find ourselves picking up the story, and the narrative is really starting to get engaged now. We're starting to hear more of what is to come. And I love this section due to the questions and the material that's here, again, as it's setting up the stage really for us to understand the rest of this book. So much is laid out for us here in this first chapter. The section begins with John again describing and declaring that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Now, that's not the fuller statement that we got back up in verse 29, where he says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here, he just simply says again to his disciples that are standing with him, behold, the Lamb of God. This is the Lamb that fulfills all the others throughout history. 
It's not just the Passover, not just Abraham's substitute for Isaac, not just the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, and not just the sacrificial lambs that were offered daily in the tabernacle of the temple. This is the perfect lamb of God. The lamb that God himself would provide for the sins of all mankind. And so now here comes Jesus Christ, and he begins to start revealing himself to the world And the significant question that is found in this section, the one that Jesus asks of these two disciples is this, so what do you want? What are you seeking? What is it that you're looking for? And what is it you think I have that you need? Have you ever asked that of Jesus? Have you ever asked him, what do you have that everything around me doesn't seem to be providing me? What do you want? So I'm going to ask you this morning in your heart of hearts, what is it that you're looking for? You know, there's many who seek after comfort, for relief, companionship, answers to the tough questions of life, a purpose, a sense of belonging, fulfillment, just hope, gratification. And so what do they find these in? And many of them turn to a stance of denial and delusion. And others create distance from people or problems. And still more will live within a distorted perspective or simply seek to dominate the situation. I will be the one in control of my destiny. So why would anyone then choose to follow Jesus? In case you haven't figured it out yet, what John is saying is that Jesus is the alternative to death by being life, and he is the alternative to the lies that are submerged inside of the darkness because Jesus is the light that clearly shines upon the hearts of mankind, the truth that all of us need to know and to hear. So what do you want? To live in obscurity, even if everyone knows your name, But why? Why, when Jesus is the willing one to take away from us everything that stood against us and God and to bring us from where we are to where he is because Jesus is truly the path changer of our life. I want you to notice with me in this section three key needs of every person's soul that Jesus addresses. I want you to look into this passage and realize what it is that this unnamed disciple and then the one that journeys with him that will then one day go and find his own brother. What is it they come looking for? What is it that Nathaniel sees? And what is it that Philip finds? And what is it that Peter ultimately realizes? And then a multitude of other people in the course of the journey of Christ. Notice with me some of these key needs. First of all, it's this, the need to belong to something. It's an interesting question that comes out of the mouth of these two disciples of John who turn and they start to follow Jesus. He turns to them and says, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? And then it's interesting where Christ then says, come and you will see. This word that John introduces here for us, this word staying, 
is a word that's going to be used quite often inside of the book of John. In fact, roughly 40 times in the Gospel of John alone, he uses this word. He uses it more than any of the Gospel writers. He uses it more than any of the other epistles, more than Paul, more than Peter, more than anybody else. He uses this word. It's a very familiar word. You go into 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, it's there. Book of Revelation, it's there. Eight times in the book of Revelation. It's really interesting where this word comes up inside of the book of Revelation. It's a word that has the idea of a, a sense of, of, of continuing, of abiding, to, to stay in a place, to endure, to, to wait in a place. It, it is really about being fixated in a location, about letting it be that this is the domicile, this is the dominion, the domain of my heart, this is where I stay. Of course, the intended question that's found here is that truly, it's, it's just a generic question. Uh, yeah. uh, so where do you live? I mean, it's sort of like, you know, um, so what do you do for a living? I mean, it wasn't necessarily any spiritual overtone, but John introduces this as a way of springboarding that into how many times throughout the Gospel of John that he's going to beg the question, so where do you stay? Where are you located? Where is your mind and where is your heart and what is life looking like for you? And it's an interesting way that he introduces this to the book. Where do you belong? To whom do you belong? Sort of like in John chapter 12 and verse 46, where Christ will say, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. You see, God doesn't want you to be in the dark. That's not where he wants you to stay. It's like what he says, though, in John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, abide in me, remain in me, stay in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides, remains, stays in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide, remain, stay in me. I am the vine and you are the branches and he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit for apart from me. When you don't stay with me, you can do nothing. You may be here today and you find yourself wondering where you belong. Where does my existence fit inside of the grander scheme of things? Where do you belong? And Jesus speaks to that. You see, Jesus declares later on in chapter 14 that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus addresses the need of every human heart that desires to know that their existence has purpose, that their existence has meaning. It's beyond just the lineage of your children and your grandchildren. It's to what is it that you are passing on to them? You've already passed on your sin nature. You've already passed on the heritage of your failure. Oh, you say, but you're a success in this life. Have you given them Christ? Do you have Christ? Where do you belong? And then he comes to verse 39, come and you will see. Oh, it starts with a physical representation. Let's come to where I live. Yes, let's enter into my house. Let's go into my domicile. But this isn't my home. This earth is not my home. I want you to come and see where you need to belong. Abide in me. And that leads us to the second key need that he addresses in this passage. 
not only a place to belong, but second of all, the need to believe in something. To believe in something. Just belonging in a community isn't enough. To actually believe that it is something that brings fulfillment, to bring meaning to one's life is another thing. There are a lot of people who are part of clubs. I'm a part of the YMCA. Does it look like I've been there lately? Oh, I believe that the YMCA is very effective for my health. So children, you go. I believe that there is a community, there is a people, there is a society that's, you know, but it don't really benefit me, but boy, I've got a, I'm a card-carrying member of, and we name it, to belong to something and believe in it. Now that is something different. And some turn to the cults and to the communes and societies and other organizations that abuse and continue to distort the truth. And Jesus left such an impression on these two men, so much so that Andrew, one of the first to two there, they can't wait. He cannot wait to get to his brother, to turn to Simon. And what does he tell his brother? Verse 41, he found his, his own brother first and says to Simon, he said to him, we have found the Messiah. We found him. I mean, and that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. But I mean, we're talking about like, almost like saying we have found Superman. We have found someone that is out of this world, something that is so totally just like almost, it's, it's coming out of my mouth, it sounds far-fetched. We have found the Messiah. He is alive. He is here. He is in our day. Simon, we have found him. Andrew found someone to believe in, something to believe in. It's the greatest need of all of our hearts to find something bigger than ourselves, something more powerful than we are, something that is smarter and and brings so much more stability than what I can try to conjure up and manufacture in myself. That's why we read all the books, and that's why they write all the books. It's because people are longing to find something that they can just sink their teeth in and believe in. To become so convinced that all doubt is removed, to become so confident that you could stay without a doubt that thousands of years of waiting is over. Do you believe in something like that? So much so that you would know without a doubt that something you believe in is so newsworthy that you'd have to share that with someone, anyone, especially the closest to you. What are you believing? Do you believe that you're just simply the product of a primordial ooze that came as a result of a cataclysmic clash between substances that, well, we're just not sure how those substances got there, but never mind, ignore that part of the story. And your ancestors decided to not stay in this primordial ooze, and so they found land Don't know where that came from either, but it's there. I know it because that's what the scientists have told me. And I'm sick of the primordial ooze, and so I crawl out onto land, and I don't like slithering. So what do I want to do? I want to grow legs. I want to walk. I want to run. I want to climb. Where did that tree come from? Anyway, I want to climb the tree. I want to build pyramids. I want to go to the moon. I want to be the President of the United States. 
Okay, well, there may be some doubt on that. But at any rate, let's go on. Or is it possible that in the beginning, God, that God created the heavens and the earth? And that I'm not a freak of evolution, a fluke of chance, that there is a grand designer, a grand intender, and that he put his fingerprint upon everything that he made and that he designed me according to intentionality. That you and I are a part of the genius of God. And even though mankind rebelled against the creator, the creator still loved us enough to send his very own son, the son of God, to die on our behalf to set us free from the effects of our sin. To know that kind of a God versus the one that you're trying to be in your own design, in your own creation, in your own intentionality, to know that there is someone that you can believe in that is bigger than you, stronger than you, more powerful than you, who loves you with an everlasting love because you are his and he has not abandoned you. He's not given up on you. He loves. Can you believe in that? To believe in something so wonderful and meaningful is to believe in the story of Jesus Christ and to have something to believe in. You see, Philip is asked by Jesus to follow me. And this phrase is again going to be used by John to speak of becoming a disciple, a follower, a student of the life of Christ. And so Philip then finds Nathaniel. And we're not sure how Nathaniel and Philip know each other. It doesn't give us the same indication as Andrew and Peter. There doesn't seem to be a familial connection here. But this guy, Philip, knows this fellow by the name of Nathaniel. And, and, and we find that he immediately goes to him. And what does Philip tell Nathaniel? Come and see. It's getting catchy, isn't it? You just have to come and see. He is worth believing in. You just have to understand who this man is. And that leads us then to the key need, the third key need that every person's soul longs to have satisfied. And that is this, the need to be seen by someone. Verses 47 to 48 again. And I love the way this phrase comes. He says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him. And said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, and I love this question, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Oh, that just moves every time. I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know how dark your day is. I don't know what walls you have put up to keep the people out, to keep your heart in case. Somebody has hurt you. Somebody has said something. Somebody has done something. And you've built a fortress around your soul, a fortress around your heart. But Jesus knows you. He sees you. He sees what's inside he sees the fear. He sees the doubt. He sees the little child that's huddled up in the corner of your, of your mind. He knows you. And that's the power of this God. 
the one that stands mighty and macho in front of all the rest of the world, but clamors in fear inside, God knows that. The one who lives in abject fear, the one who just broadcasts fear, wanting to know that somebody is stronger and secure in their life. God sees you. How do you know me? To be seen, to be noticed, to be known and not scorned or overlooked or rejected, despised, or even just simply forgotten. It is the difference from being picked last to not even being noticed on the bench. This is not about being judged by their equals, but feeling like you have no value. Jesus sees you. And he is quick to inform Nathaniel that he was also going to see some other amazing things. Nathaniel, you think that little parlor trick is interesting? Just wait till you see what we've got in store for the rest of this journey. And what was Nathaniel's response? You are the Son of God, the King of Israel. This is who sees us. The God of the universe sees you, not just the king of Israel, but the king of kings sees you. And this is why he came, and this is why he died for your sins. That is why he declared that he loves us with an everlasting love. So I beg of you this morning to answer the question, what do you want? To belong? To believe in something bigger than yourself? To be seen by someone who is greater and more powerful than you are and even more powerful than death itself? And Jesus is the person to come and see. Jesus is the path changer. He can turn your life into something more than just simply existing in the here and now. What about living for eternity? What more do you want? Come and see Jesus for the answers to your biggest questions. Some of the greatest needs in this life and then especially in the one to come. And if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I implore you, I beg of you, come and see him for who he is. Talk to someone after the service this morning. I'll be standing down here. Other of our staff will be available to you. If you need to know Jesus Christ and the relationship that he is ready to have with you, to know that your sins are forgiven and that eternity is your home, come to Jesus. Let's have a come to Jesus meeting. Let's have a relationship starting moment where you recognize how significant this relationship is with the God of the universe. And if you are a Christian here this morning, then have you seen him lately? What are you wanting out of this life? And what is it that you think that God has not given to you that you deserve? What is it that he has not satisfied? Maybe it's because you've been going to a different solution to try to find the answers that Christ has already supplied through his word. What is it that you're looking for this morning? What do you want? Then why don't you come and find that Jesus really has what you need? Let's stand together for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that, Lord, you would encourage our hearts to understand the gospel, the good news of what you have provided and what you give. 
that you give to us that place of belonging. You give something that is bigger than ourselves to believe in. And more importantly, you see us for who we are. And it did not stop you. You still came and you still died for our sins. You love us in spite of what we show you that we really are. And so, Lord, in all humility, I pray this morning that we would behold you, see you, and that we would come and stay with you. Speak, Lord, as only you can. And challenge that heart that needs you this morning. Help them to come to you and see you as their Savior. It's in Christ's name we pray. so much for joining us today. Um, after this time, we have a fellowship in the fellowship hall, just a, t a short time of get together for uh, our church family and visitors. We'd love for you to join us and maybe be able to just speak to you and, and uh, welcome you uh, to our uh, family this morning. Um, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Lord bless you. You are dismissed.